Welcome to the Graceful Hustle Podcast, where God's grace plus your hustle equals success. I'm your host, Monique Carkham Edwards, the executive strategist, giving you the practical tools and the spiritual fuel you need to reach the C-suite with your soul right. Hey y'all, it's episode number nine, hashtag fail. In this episode, we're going to be talking about some of my biggest career mistakes. Things that I've done that I realized later did not serve me well at all. You are going to get a chance to learn a lot and laugh a little at my expense. But before we dive into our podcast episode number nine today, y'all already know what time it is. It's listener spotlight time. This week, I'm giving a big shout out to Rachel. Rachel writes, So today I offered some feedback to some people at my company about improving an ineffective process. They came back acting like they usually do, patronizing. Well, it's very complicated, they said, as if I'm not the smartest person in the room. I am. Or, oh, that's great feedback, they said, giving me silence. And while I normally get so angry, today I just responded with more solutions. I ignored them and I kept communicating what I know to be true. And do you know why? Because you inspired me to do that. To ignore their response and speak my truth. Yay me. Rachel, girl, I love your whole entire life right now. Keep going. Keep speaking. Keep pointing the way and keep on being the leader that you are. Y'all, I love to get these kinds of emails and text messages and DMs. If you got a story to tell, some way that this podcast has helped you, inspired you, built you up, hit me up and let me know. You could be my next listener spotlight. So let's get down to today's topic. Did I ever tell y'all about the time when I utterly, absolutely, and unequivocally embarrassed myself at work? I made a whole entire fool of myself, y'all. I was working for a Fortune 500 company, and about a month after I joined, we merged with another huge company. Our CEO retired, and the other company's CEO took the helm. And while our market segments dovetailed very nicely. The company's cultures could not have been more different. Some of you may have heard the expression, culture eats strategy for lunch. Well, in this newly formed, newly merged company, we were getting our lunch eaten, y'all. All day, every day, and twice on Sundays because the two company cultures just were not mixing well at all. So out the gate, we missed our commitments to Wall Street, our stock price started tanking. There were rounds of layoffs. Child, it was a hot mess on a skateboard. But I was good because I was a top performer and my position and my role were pretty secure. But the next thing you know, a third mega company steps in and is trying to buy our newly merged company. 
And I had worked in finance for this mega company in a past life, and I'd done very well in their management training program. And so they wanted to scoop me up. So they fly me to their corporate headquarters, and I'm interviewing for my choice of positions. And, y'all, I'm killing these interviews. No lie. I'm killing them. The interviews are going well. It's the last interview of the day. And I'm walking in to interview with the person that would be my boss. And I walk into his office, and bam! I walk right into a glass door. Y'all, I hit my head so hard on that door, I almost passed out. I mean, I saw the sun, the moon, the stars, the Milky Way. I saw galaxies. I might have even seen Jesus, y'all. It was bad. And listen, it was so obvious. You know how sometimes you fall or you trip or you stumble or you hit your head and you can play it off? It was so obvious I could not even play it off. It was bad. And so I sat through the rest of the interview, dazed and confused. I could barely think straight, y'all. And while I'm sitting there, I can feel the knot growing on my forehead. So I finished the interview. I leave the building. But listen, before I could make it back home, I had an email with a job offer. And I learned two things that day. Number one, never take yourself too seriously. And number two, as I opened the email, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, this will never be about you. It's always going to be about me. So I learned some stuff that day. It was an embarrassing moment. But I got to tell y'all, as embarrassing as that was, it was not by far my biggest career mistake. I would have loved to have said that that was my biggest mistake. I have made my share of them, which is precisely why I know what to tell y'all to do and not to do. Seriously, though, I want to share with y'all some of what I believe have been key mistakes. And what's so important about what I'm going to share in each of these mistakes is that the mistakes resulted from a mindset a pattern of thinking that was really holding me back. And so each of these three mistakes that I'm going to talk about, they actually represent an unhealthy mindset that I held. And if I was ever going to turn things around, I had to make a mindset shift. So let's get into it. Mistake number one, failing to recognize when I needed to put my feelings aside and take a particular action so I could develop and grow. Failing to recognize when I needed to put my feelings aside, I needed to get out of my feelings and take a particular action so I could develop and grow. Years ago when I was out on maternity leave, there was a change in leadership within my business, and my current boss was being promoted to the top position in our function, and one of my peers was taking my current boss's role. And I had always had a great relationship with my boss and I was sorry to lose her as my direct boss, but I was happy for her professionally. And while the person who was going to take her place was one of my peers, I didn't know him very well. We were fairly siloed. And so we, while we were on the same team reporting to the same boss, we had never actually worked together. Our roles were distinct. And To say I was ambivalent about returning to work after maternity leave was putting it mildly. I was burned out. I didn't really like my job, although I loved my boss. I didn't really like my job. I wanted a career change, but I hadn't yet quite figured out what that would look like. 
And so when my maternity leave was over, I grudgingly went back to work. I was disconnected. I was unmotivated. I was disinterested. And those of y'all who know me know I don't do fake well. So I'm sure that no matter how I tried to put a good face on it, I'm sure what I was feeling inside had to show at least a little bit. But not only was I not feeling my job, I came back from maternity leave to find that my new boss's leadership style was the antithesis of my old boss's style. And several of the folks working under this new boss bristled because of his style. He could be abrupt. He was inconsistent at times. And so when I came back, I got an earful from my colleagues about what had been going on in the months while I was on leave since he had assumed the helm of our group. And it wasn't long after I returned from maternity leave that I got my first taste of what working for John, we'll call him John, was like. John was a very sharp guy, extremely smart, a go-getter, but it became apparent pretty quickly that he had never managed an experienced team. And so all the things that my colleagues had been experiencing, I found myself experiencing. He would give direction and then change course without explanation. He took issue with things that didn't really matter. He could be a micromanager. He started making changes to people's responsibilities and portfolios that didn't really make sense. And so several of us chafed under his leadership style. And I was over it with a capital O and a capital I. I was over it. So I called one of my mentors at the time, a woman, who was about 10 years older than I was, and I set up the call with her as if I really wanted some advice. But really what I wanted to do was whine and complain, and I wanted to drag for John. (laughs) So that's what I really wanted to do. I tried to fix it up, but the truth was I was calling to complain and drag for him. So my mentor gave me sound advice, as she always did. She told me what to do in order to try to turn things around, how to advocate for myself, how to confront the issues in the best way. But, y'all, I was so disconnected, so not wanting to be there, so aggravated emotionally that I felt offended that I even had to do any of what she was suggesting. And so she's giving me all this great advice, And I say, well, you know, I don't really care because I'm going to be out of here soon anyway. I'm going to look for another job. And I will never forget what she said to me. She said, Mo, it's a skill. And even if you don't care about this job, you're going to need this same skill for the next job. And you have to decide if you want to take the necessary steps to develop it because Johns are everywhere. In other words, what my mentor was saying to me was go sit your little self down somewhere and get it together and grow up. What my mentor was telling me was that there was an opportunity here for me to grow and mature professionally because the challenges that I was facing in that moment were not isolated. They were not hugely uncommon. And I needed to grow up and mature professionally instead of whining and complaining about John. And y'all, I was so over the whole thing though, that I never took her advice fully. I made some half-hearted attempts, but I failed to truly put aside how I felt 
and make a mature decision to take a wise course of action that would have resulted in a better working relationship with my new boss. I was so bothered by how I was being treated and by his leadership style that I got all in my feelings. And while I wasn't going around pouting, I was, wasn't being proactive in building and improving that relationship. You know, I have since learned that my mentor was right. I needed to put my feelings aside and focus on developing the soft skill of managing up with a boss that I disliked. Now, the half-hearted attempts that I did make, they yielded some results. But I wonder what would have happened if I had really leaned into her advice. And now that I'm coaching and mentoring professionals, I often find myself saying to them, put aside how you feel. I know how you feel, and it's not that your feelings aren't valid, but put aside how you feel and focus on building a very necessary skill. Whether that skill is managing up, whether it's building a network, whether it's receiving feedback, whether it's figuring out how to gain support from a peer that seems to be working with you in an adversarial manner. It's a skill. I was too busy whining about the whys. Why is this happening to me? Why am I being treated this way? Why am I stuck in this job? Why, 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 why? I was too busy whining about the whys to take the time to ask what. Instead of whining about the whys, I should have been asking myself, what can I learn from this? What opportunity does this situation afford me? What experience is this situation going to give me? Pastor and author Chuck Swindoll says this, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. We get into trouble when we fail to see the opportunity that whatever unpleasant situation it is provides. You know, there's an expression that says some people will never be successful because when opportunity knocks, they complain about the noise. Y'all, opportunity was knocking for me, but I was complaining about the noise. We get all in our feelings, I know I got all in mine, and we make an emotional decision over a temporary circumstance without considering the long-term impact. And my mentor was absolutely right. About two years later, I did eventually get another job, and sure enough, I needed that same exact skill, and I had to learn it. And I did learn it, but man, it would have been so much better for me if I had learned it two years prior. So mistake number one was failing to recognize when I needed to put my feelings aside and take a particular action so I could grow and develop. Mistake number two, not taking more risk. Not taking more risk. Early in my career, I was offered an opportunity to work for a spinoff of a company that I was with. And as a spinoff, the venture was going to be smaller, less financially stable than a larger company that it was previously a part of. It was going to be much more of an entrepreneurial venture. And the role sounded exciting, but scary. Because while it would play to some of my strengths, it also required some skills that I didn't have yet. 
it was early in my career, and one of the things I did enjoy about being with my larger company was that there were tons of smart people for me to learn from and, and grow from. And at this new venture, I'd be the top lawyer. And I felt like there was so much stuff that I didn't know yet. And it would have required me and my husband, Lennon, to relocate or at least have a very long commute. Ultimately, I talked myself out of taking the role. I played it safe. So that spinoff went on to produce wonderful results. It made a ton of money, and it got bought by another company. And the executive team there got some incredible payouts. As a general counsel, I would have been one of those executives getting some coins. That company was in the cybersecurity industry, and I have no doubt that it would have given me a terrific boost to my resume. I would have landed a terrific job based on the experience I gained at that venture. I have often looked back on that decision. And while I haven't regretted much of my career, I always think about what my career trajectory would have been had I allowed myself to take a chance, to take a risk. Now, what kept me from taking the risk? Number one, underestimating my ability to learn and grow quickly. Do I know enough? Am I experienced enough? How is it going to look if I'm in the role and there's some things that I don't know? You know, some of us tend to downplay and minimize what we have to offer. In, in this situation, I was definitely underestimating my ability to grow and to learn quickly. The flip side of me underestimating myself was that I was overestimating what was required to be successful in the role. When I look back on it, the other members of the executive team really didn't have much more experience than I did in their respective areas, but they all jumped in. They were all male. They were all white males to be exact. I raise that because studies have shown that men will apply for jobs when they have half the qualifications required, while we as women tend to apply only when we have 90 to 100% of the qualifications. Those white males on that executive team probably didn't know half of what they needed to know, just like me, but that didn't stop them from jumping in. And it shouldn't have stopped me either, but I let it and I regret it. Now that I've gotten older and I realize that I have more years behind me than I do ahead of me, I'm becoming a bigger risk taker, y'all. I refuse to live or die afraid. I'm refusing to play small. I'm refusing to let me talk myself out of opportunities and growth and success. So my second biggest mistake was not taking enough risks. Mistake number three might be related to it in some way. And it is this, staying in places that I have outgrown. Staying in places I've outgrown. At one point in my career, I was an, in an executive leadership position with a nonprofit, and I loved the organization's mission. I loved what it stood for. I loved the mission, the heart, what it was all about. I adored, I absolutely adored the clients that I was serving. I loved the people I was working with. But from the door, there were a few red flags. A few red flags. Number one, while I love the work and the people, I was already overqualified for the position in many ways. So I didn't have much runway for growth within my role. 
And secondly, it was a relatively small organization with a very well-meaning executive leadership team, but that leadership's experience base was very limited. So there wasn't really anybody for me to learn from. And I really value learning, whether it's about leadership development, organizational development, emotional intelligence, business strategy. I love learning. And that's something that I took for granted because I had always been in large multinational fortune 500 companies. I had practiced at a top law firm in New York. I was constantly surrounded by smart, bright, intelligent people, stimulating people. And so I kind of took that for granted. And so while the rest of the executive team, they were very nice people, they just didn't value some of the same things that I value to the extent that I valued them, the learning, the growth, and the continuous improvement. And so in addition to doing my job, you know, once I took the job, I realized, uh oh, I got to busy myself with some other stuff because the job itself is really not enough. So I busied myself with special projects I created. I went above and beyond on certain assignments. I improved some existing processes and I even set up some new ones and I read a ton. And I was good. I was good for about nine months. <laughs> I was good for about nine months, y'all. And then it started happening. It started happening. And I'll tell you what the it is. When you stay in a place that you've outgrown, two things happen. The first it that started to happen was tension. When you stay in a place that you've outgrown, tension is inevitable. And every day my patience was wearing thin. Every day I was getting a little bit more aggravated with my situation. And I tried to put a good face on it, but I know there were days when, you know, you could just feel this tension that I was carrying between what I knew I was capable of and what my reality was. And at one point I was even considering going back to school. It, it wasn't because, and it wasn't that I had all this extra time on my hands because I was busy. In fact, I was working like a dog. But while I was using 120% of my physical energy, I was only using about 30% of my brain power because I was bored to death. So I enrolled in a couple of classes. I enrolled in a seminary class and in a master's level online course offered at MIT on leading organizational change. And I was bored to tears by the seminary class, but I loved, loved, loved my organizational change class. And I said, oh, that's it. Maybe I'll go back to school and get my doctorate in strategic leadership. But when I analyzed what I was craving, it wasn't another degree. It was just some intellectual stimulation. I just wanted exposure. I wanted learning. I wanted growth. And so a PhD program would have been a very expensive way to stimulate my brain. So I realized that in the past, what had kept me intellectually stimulated was my job. And I realized in that moment, I needed a career change, but I was very comfortable where I was. So I did pursue change, but I didn't pursue it very quickly. And in the meantime, I lived with this constant tension between where I was and where I knew I was capable of, of going. The other thing that happens when you stay in a role that you've outgrown is your development is compromised. I remember one day sitting in my office, everyone had gone home for the day and I was sitting in my office alone. And I remember considering my circumstances and I looked around. 
I looked around at the piles of work on my desk. I looked at the appointments and the meetings in my calendar. And I thought about an exchange I had just had with my then boss. And I remembered feeling sad. I felt sad because I felt that I had shrunk professionally. I felt saddened because I felt that I had shrunk intellectually. I was, I was still doing a lot of good, but I, I wasn't doing good. I wasn't good. And as I realized that it came to me, Monique, you've just outgrown where you are. And as a result, my development, my professional development, my intellectual development, my exposure, my learning, my growth had been compromised. You know, if you are a mother, if you're listening and you're a mother, you know, or father, you know that a normal term pregnancy is 40 weeks. Some women give birth at 38 weeks, some at 39, but 40 weeks is considered to be full term. And typically the obstetrician won't let you go much past 40 weeks because if the baby remains in the womb much past 40 weeks, all kinds of complications start happening that would impair the baby's development. And so after about 40 weeks, if you haven't gone into labor naturally on your own, you will likely be induced so that you can start contractions to help push, push the baby out. And that pressure, that pushing, that squeezing, that uncomfortable circumstance, the contraction is what forces the baby out. And so induction is used when the baby needs to come out, but you haven't gone into labor on your own and labor doesn't come naturally. And sometimes we in the positions that we hold, the jobs that we had, the organizations that we're a part of, we have to be induced. So there may have been some circumstances in your career that didn't make sense. Maybe you were downsized from your last company. That's one way to look at it. Or maybe you were just induced. <laughs> if you had just given your two weeks notice, that would have been natural, but if the two of you had come to a mutual agreement to part ways, then that would have been natural, but you couldn't, wouldn't, didn't, whatever the case may be, you didn't do it. And Dr. Jesus, the great physician kept trying to get you to move, but you wouldn't move and he had to induce you. And I realized that that is what happened to me. When you stay in a place that you've outgrown, I had stayed someplace that I had outgrown. Tension is inevitable and your development is compromised. And so that was a big mistake on my part. You know, being induced is no fun. When you're induced, they administer this substance that's supposed to mimic the gradual onset of contractions, but the word is attempt. It doesn't actually work that way. And so sometimes the induction is jarring. The pain comes suddenly and that's the same thing that can happen when you stay in a situation where you've outgrown, when God determines that it's time for you to move on, the, the induction, the pushing you out can be jarring. But if we are going to be professional people of faith who amplify our impact in the spaces that we occupy, we have to remember that with all the tips, tools, tricks, and all the professional development advice, there is still the sovereignty of God and God comes into the situation and he sees that mistakes have been made and he sees that a course correction is needed. And we have to trust him enough to believe that as he comes alongside us, he is going to lead God direct and induce and push us out sometimes 
in ways that might not feel good, but ultimately will work for our good. So those are my three biggest mistakes. Failing to manage my emotions and make a decision to build the skill when I felt like I shouldn't have to do that. Not taking more risk, underestimating myself and overestimating what it's going to take to be successful and not taking those risks and then staying in places that I have outgrown. So now y'all know the dirt on me. You know all that Mo has done. Well, you don't know all of them, my mistakes, but you know three of them. So I hope that this helps you. Listen, go to my website and check out my five lies that are killing your career and what to do about them. Check it out. That's a freebie that you can download. And I think that that is going to help you. Other than that, Check me out on Facebook, Instagram at Speak Monique, LinkedIn, Monique Carkham Edwards Esquire, and check me out at speakmonique.com. Go back and listen to some of my past episodes, y'all, of the Graceful Hustle podcast. I pray that they will bless you. Until next time, y'all take good care, and I'll see you at the top.